Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah most gracious most merciful The man in the red underpants by A.R. Green Chapter 5 The test of character There are a few other tests that one could apply the first is connected with the character and personality of the person making the claim. If the person claiming to have a message from the Creator is known and displays truthfulness, sincerity and honesty, it becomes easy to accept that the person is also telling the truth about the message they are receiving from the Creator. Of course, this could be countered by the claim that this person is simply deluded. They think that they are what they claim to be and are honest and truthful but their experiences are a product of some mental aberration or hallucination. How can we know that this is not the case? How can we know that this is not the case? Certainly none of us want to be conned or taken for a ride by a fraudster or end up following a madman. Of course, a good fraudster will do everything in his or her power to make you think that they are sincere and truthful. They will certainly make what they have look and sound like the real thing. They will certainly make what they have look and sound like the real thing. And they will often tempt you with an offer that seems too good to be true. The problem here is that we can easily end up back where we started. All our contenders could end up looking like pretty credible characters. But the point here, of course, is that we are not dealing with the actual claimants themselves. It is not Moses, Krishna, Buddha, Zoroaster, Jesus, Muhammad, or Guru Nanak knocking on our door themselves. It's people who claim to be representing them and what they said. We have stuff said about them and written about them. So before we can examine these characters, we need to have some idea about how we know what they actually said as opposed to what people have claimed they said. So, before we can examine these characters, we need to have some idea about how we know what they actually said as opposed to what people have claimed that they said. This is why the issue of scriptural authenticity is important. This is why the issue of scriptural authenticity is important. The problem with Zoroastrianism is that there is nothing really left of the actual writings and sayings of Zoroaster. The liturgy remains as do some ideas of the basic theology, but his actual words, his actual words are more or less lost. The problems with biblical authenticity are well known even to honest Christian and Jewish scholars. Here is an area where the Quran, the main scripture of Islam, is really outstanding. There is very little controversy over the authenticity of the Quranic text. In fact, one could pick up a copy of the Quran from any mosque anywhere in the world 
and one could compare these with manuscripts dating to within 30 years after the death of the Prophet Muhammad and you would find the text unchanged except for the style of writing and certain marks placed to aid pronunciation. This is quite remarkable for a text just over 1400 years old. Not only is there an excellent record of written preservation, but the Quran has a remarkable history of oral preservation as well. Muslims claim other scriptures have been changed, lost, and distorted in various ways, but the Creator whose word the Quran is has promised to preserve the Quran because it is the last revelation from the Creator for humanity, and thus Muhammad is the final messenger. Although Muslims themselves are human and fallible, and as such do not necessarily represent the true face of the religion, the Quran and example and teachings of the Prophet remain intact for people to be able to find out what God's guidance really is. This is what Muslims claim, but aren't there lots of problems with Islam? I mean, how can anyone in the civilized, in the civilized free world, Allah Akbar, I mean, how can anyone in the civilized free world, or in fact anywhere, be expected to follow a religion that's for, for that's 1,400 years old? That's 1,400 years old, 1,400 years old. It seems to treat women as second-class citizens, but. In the civilized free world, women are still paid less for the same job, are regularly portrayed as sex objects, suffer scary amounts of sexual and physical abuse, and find it almost impossible to be respected as mothers and wives. But at least in the civilized world, we claim that women are supposed to be equal. I mean the Quran actually says to beat your wife on certain occasions. Men can have up to four wives and unlimited concubines, nice for them, and they get twice the inheritance and a woman's testimony is worth half, of, half a man's. Then there is this jihad business and all that terrorism and fight and kill the disbelievers wherever you find them. And how about all those seemingly barbaric laws with hand chopping for thieves and death for apostates and adulterers and how come it's always the women that seem to get killed and death for homosexuals and whipping for drunks and even crucifixion for highway robbers. Isn't the Quran just like every other religious book? Isn't the Quran just like every other religious book, full of contradictions, vague terms, and open to many levels of interpretation? Well, the Quran seems to be unlike any other scripture from at least one angle, and that is the nearly undistributed fact of its preservation and authenticity. Then again, how many of the issues that people have with Islam are actually to do with the teachings of Quran? of the Quran and the Prophet as opposed to the behavior or behaviors of Muslims. Let's look at this rationally rather than emotionally. 
Does the fact that the Quran teaches certain things that go against the customs and norms that we are used to mean that it is not from the Creator? There is in fact no rational reason why any of the aforementioned issues actually preclude its divine origin. So what if it does not seem compatible with modern life? Perhaps the Creator doesn't like modernity or any other man-made ideology. I'm not saying this is the actual case. I'm not just proving the point that again this is not a, a rational reason to reject the claim of the Quran to be from the Creator. I'm not, I am, sorry, I am just, sorry, let me repeat that. I'm not saying this is the actual case. I'm just, I'm just proving the point that again, this is not a rational reason to reject the claim of the Quran to be from the Creator. Sorry for the mistake here. In this respect, nearly every religion joins Islam in questioning the validity of a lifestyle based on pure materialism and enjoyment that seems to characterize much of modern life. The problem with judging any given book or scripture only on its morals and laws is that morals and laws in general are far from universal. For example, something that may seem like a harsh punishment in one culture is considered soft in another. Limited polygamy might seem like an unreasonable restriction in a society that relies on marriage as a means of social security for women and practices unlimited polygamy. To them, monogamy might seem like madness, especially to the women who rely on polygamy for security. The self-styled civilized free world is itself constantly changing its moral and ethical stance on many things. Things that were bad 10 years ago are acceptable today and vice versa. Yet some spokespeople for the values of the free world talk about their morals and values as if they were some sort of divine right, which of course they are not. In fact, the opposite is true. The point here is that the biggest problem that people tend to have with Islam is actually not really a valid criterion by which to judge it. Rationally, one should take the position that if one can establish convincing evidence of a book's divine origin, then one should accept that the Creator of us knows what is best for us. In fact, it is quite likely that humans would choose morals, laws, and values that they feel comfortable with rather than those which are actually good and beneficial for them, or that some humans, like those with authority and control, devise a system of moral order that keeps them in power. The fact is there are many things that are good for us that we don't like and many things we like that are actually bad for us. So we should put this issue of the so-called incompatibility of Islam with modern life aside as a red herring or perhaps as another man in red underpants or perhaps as another man in red underpants. Now this is or this may be time now this may be time to swallow the bitterest pill of all so far. Time to accept 
what for some of us might be the hardest truth that the Quran just might possibly be that guidance from the Creator and that Muhammad is a prophet. At least we should put our prejudice aside and try to openly examine the reasoned arguments put forth in favor of the Quran's claim to be that guidance. After all, it does already have a few things in favor of this claim. Let's go over them again. Firstly, what it teaches about the Creator matches what can be understood rationally by everyone everywhere, i.e. that there is one Creator that is unlike the creation, that or there are there are lots of verses in the Quran that expound this idea. For example, say he is God the one and alone, say he is God the one and alone, God the one whom everything needs and who himself needs nothing. He is not born nor does he beget and there is nothing that can be compared to him. The Quran chapter 112, the purity verses 1 to 4. Some people question the use of he in the Quran. Does this mean that the Creator is a man? The Creator, according to these verses, is not like anything. It's just that in Arabic, the original language of the Quran, like many other languages, there is only male and female, no neuter. No neuter. Even in English, saying it doesn't really seem an appropriate way to talk about God. He, or capital H, E, He, just happens to be the gender term that is used in the Quran, but it does not imply or necessitate that God is a man or male. The second thing in Islam's favor is that the scripture has been preserved in a remarkable manner. The history of this preservation is itself worthy of some study. But for brevity, I'll just relate some comments of various scholars on this matter. For example, the Orientalist Richard Burton writes that the Quran we have today is the text which has come down to us in the form in which it was organized and approved by the Prophet. What we have today in our hands is the Mus'haf text of Muhammad. Kenneth Craig, Kenneth Craig describes the transmission of the Quran from the time of revelation to today as occurring in an unbroken, unbroken living sequence of devotion. Schwali writes in Jischikit uh, des Qurans that as far as the various pieces of revelation are connected, we may be confident that their text has been generally transmitted exactly as it was found in the Prophet's legacy. They certainly seem convinced of the Quran's authenticity, even though those that I have mentioned are not Muslim. 
The third reason we should sit up and take notice is because the message of Islam claims to be a universal one that is for everybody regardless of race or status and indeed makes clear that the Creator does not look at a person's color, race, tribe, wealth or status but rather at a person's heart, goodness and deeds. The Quran however is no casual read. It can be very difficult to get one's head around since it doesn't seem to follow any particular order of events, topic or theme. It repeats itself a lot and even in the best English translation its style is challenging to say the least. In fact in order to understand it you are forced to think and thinking is what the Quran asks us to do a lot. Despite this, the basic message is very clear. There is only one God who is both compassionate and merciful to all his creatures, but especially to those who are humble and believe. He is also severe in punishment to those who are arrogant and reject the truth. Life is a test, and when we die, and this universe as we know it ends, there will be a day when we will be recreated physically and judged and either rewarded with eternal bliss or punished with eternal torment. Well, I did tell you in the beginning there was going to be stuff you wouldn't like, like death and hell. Still, the fact that we don't like something doesn't mean it's not real or it's not true. Is there anything else that might help us accept the claim of the Quran to be from the creator of the heavens and earth? Well, the Quran itself gives a sort of falsification test. This is in fact a good test to apply to any book that claims to be from the creator. Listen to this. Do they not then consider the Quran carefully? Had it been from other than Allah, they would surely have found their own contradictions in abundance. The Quran, chapter 4, the woman, verse 82. The point being here is that if a book is from the creator of everything, it's quite rational to conclude that this unique being must be very intelligent and wise to a level that is perhaps beyond human comprehension. Certainly, one would expect the creator of all things to be familiar with the basic workings of the natural world and universe and with events in human history. Actually, what is remarkable about the Quran is not only that it does not contain any contradictions, but in fact it seems to be making statements about history, theology and philosophy law and the natural world that defies a normal human explanation. And there is another remarkable quality about the Quran and that is that it still stands today as by far the most outstanding piece of literature in the Arabic language. In fact the Quran itself challenges the Arabs who were masters of poetry and linguistic skill to produce even, even one chapter that could compare to it. The shortest chapter of the Quran was a mere three verses. At a time when poets were the pop stars of Arabia, Muhammad showed no poetic ability either prior to or after the revelation of the Quran. 
In fact, his sayings and statements are clearly different linguistically from the Quran and can easily be told apart. Many of the most skilled poets and orators of that time admitted that these were not the words of Muhammad or even a human. Many embraced Islam just from hearing the Quran being recited. For them, it was the most convincing proof of its divine origin. Of course, this may be hard for us to appreciate today, but it stands as a historical fact. The question remains as to how someone with no known poetic gifts was able to produce a piece of literature that until today stands supreme in the whole of the Arabic language at a time when the greatest pieces of Arabic poetry were being produced. If one were to take a modern day comparison, it's as extraordinary as an uneducated person with no scientific knowledge or training expounding a faultless unified theory of physics. Muhammad was, like most people in Arabia at that time, unable to read or write. He had no access to the means of acquiring such knowledge. Indeed, it was a constant challenge to his opponents then, as it has been throughout the history of those who refuse to accept the possibility that the Quran is from the Creator as to where exactly he got all this information. Some Christian pol uh, polemist, some Christian polemist even went as far as to claim that Muhammad himself was in fact a heretical Christian bishop that had fled to Arabia and others claimed that he had learned from some dissident monk. However, despite the rich history and available literature of Muhammad's life, no one can seem to be able to identify this character and how he managed to stay hidden for the duration of the 23 years the Prophet preached. Of course, another issue that this, that this raises of course, another issue that this raises is the suggestion that the Quran was an invention and that Muhammad was a liar. And such a claim is really very problematic since any study of the life of Muhammad clearly shows his complete sincerity and truthfulness. He doesn't display the psychological profile of a Khan artist at all. This has led others to claim that he was deluded and mad, that he really believed that he was a prophet and manage therefore to convince himself and others. This leaves us still with the unexplained mystery of the amazing information and a breadth of knowledge contained in the Quran. You see, someone can't be both deluded and a liar at the same time. If you think you are a prophet and really believe you are receiving information from God, when someone comes to ask you a difficult question as often happened to Muhammad, you don't go off running to your nearest priest or rabbi to find out what the answer is going to be. You're convinced God is going to tell you. The most reasonable conclusion that explains the phenomenon of both the amazing level of information in the Quran and the clear sincerity and truthfulness of Muhammad is that he was what he claimed to be, the messenger of God. It seems that this alone offers a plausible explanation for the information 
because this knowledge is from the Creator and acts as a sort of verification of it. The Prophet Muhammad's sincerity, truthfulness, and principled behavior is explained by him actually being what he claimed to be and having certainty that he was receiving a divine message. Alhamdulillah. This is the end of chapter 5.